You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, doing our best to play a part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom. Hopefully along the way, we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Today, we're digging a little deeper into the 49th film in the canon, 2009's The Princess and the Frog. This is Disney doing what it often does after a lull, going back to the princess and the fairy tale. They did it with Cinderella after the package films, they did it with The Little Mermaid after all of Disney's nine old men were in retirement. And they're doing it now uh, that John Lasseter is at the helm after a streak of near misses. This time, they also brought back uh, 2D animation. And to direct it, they brought back John Musker and Ron Clements as well. This is the sixth film of theirs we've covered, as they also did number 26, uh, The Great Mouse Detective, number 28, The Little Mermaid, number 31, Aladdin. Number 35, Hercules, and number 43, Treasure Planet. And we have one more of theirs in the future as well. So anyway, here to stop me from wandering off in the wrong direction when I get confused by the topography and the geography and the choreography is Michael Farmer. How you doing, Josh? You no account, philandering, lazy, bump on the log. (laughs) Well done. Well done. I had assumed you were going to say that to me or or tell me that I've spent my whole life (laughs) sucking on a silver spoon, chasing chambermaids around my ivory tower, and I was going to tell you it's polished marble. (laughs) Yeah, I could have gone that direction. I just, uh, yeah, I don't, I, uh, yeah, I liked the uh, topography line, but that was also a very good one. Well done. I'm glad you, I'm glad you dropped it in there. Thank you. (laughs) Way to be prepared. Well, you know, for, for what, 40 episodes, you've always said something from the movie to me, and I've never had anything in response. <laughs> Maybe you always have, but I've just, we've picked the same thing every time. Uh, yeah, we're at 49. Pretty crazy. So, almost almost to the uh, the big 50 here. Um, yeah, it, it felt like a bit of, felt like a bit of a throwback on this one i i think yeah no absolutely it's i I think very consciously modeled after some of the older movies Mm -hmm. yeah very i i would say extremely consciously i think they were really at this at this moment in the in history they were trying to uh really recapture you know what makes disney disney um and you know they knew that disney was princess movies and 2d animation and musicals and um 
yeah, so they went they went for it and all the and all on all of those all of those fronts. So how how did how did you how did you feel they did, did they did they hit it? Did they oh, capture? Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think this is this is the most successful musical they've had artistically successful since The Lion King. I think. Um, Would you say I, I I I might like Lilo and Stitch or The Emperor's New Groove better than this? I'm not sure. But uh, in terms of the the actual genre, it fits more with the Renaissance pictures, and it's better than the last half of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, I think I I really like this one. I think it's really good. Um, it's this is not one that gets a lot of play in my house because the uh, the villain the the um, what do they call him the Shadow Man <laughs> is. Uh, he's pretty frightening, I think. I think he would, and and his end is pretty frightening as yeah. well. He's Let's not, not forget the climax of this movie involves him being dragged to hell by his own shadow. Right. Yeah. Not not the normal uh, Disney villain just fall off a cliff or whatever uh, thing. So we haven't we haven't shown this one to the kids yet. Um, so like I said, it, has, it doesn't get a lot of play in my house, but it is a. Uh, Allison and I both really like it. Yeah, I remember when this movie came out, Victoria and I had just gotten married and we went to see this in the, the theater because uh, we were so excited about it, uh, about them returning to 2D animation. And we weren't disappointed. I mean, what we were disappointed by is the fact that there's only one 2D animation after this and then they haven't made another one <laughs> since then. It seemed like maybe they were going to start making 2D pictures again, but what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah and... Uh, I, because I, I remember the same thing. It was like, oh, they're they're bringing 2D back, which is great. I just watched, you know, in preparation for the podcast, I, I watched the uh, the making of on this, and uh, they all seemed to believe <laughs> during the making of that that 2D animation was back as well. So I don't, I I'm not sure what exactly happened. You know, that they decided um, it wasn't worth it, but. It's, the it, the it, idea I think was going to be that every other movie was going to be 2D, that they were going to alternate 3D and 2D, you know, for the rest of the 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 existence of the studio. Mm-hmm. And then this one didn't do super well; it did okay. And the Winnie the Pooh that came out two years later did not do okay; it did very poorly. And I guess they decided they weren't going to make another one after that. Yeah, which is a uh, a real shame, and. We're now, so it's funny because, I mean, having lived through this, you know, like I remember, uh, you know, oh, they're shuttering the, the 2D animation and I was frustrated and sad about that. And, uh, oh, now they're bringing it back, you know, which actually it was only, um, you know, it wasn't that many years. I don't have that in front of me. I can't remember when Home on the Range. I don't remember what year Home on the Range. five years between Home on the Range and this. It's, okay, it was yeah. only three movies that came out between the two of them. Right, yeah. So like it was kind of a a false start there, false end. <laughs> I guess not a false start, a false end. Um and then uh yeah, we're we're what, twelve twelve years away now. Or eleven eleven years, I guess. Wave two came out two thousand one. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Eleven years. Yeah, so we're way further away now. Um without I don't know, did they ever I mean, they must have at some point reofficially said we're not we're not doing 2D, but I feel like it, there was a much bigger like we're not doing 2D anymore, <laughs> you know, um, the first time. And I feel like that 
I don't, I don't remember them making a big deal about it, the fact that they were not doing 2D anymore. It just kind of happened. Right. Yeah. And, and for that reason, it's much more frustrating right? because there's nobody to reason with. They haven't made a decision not to do it. They've just made a decision not to do it. Yeah. So. So here we are. So. But whatever the whatever the problem is, it's certainly not the fault of the quality of this movie, which is terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really beautiful. I mean, really beautiful, really lovely all the way through. Um, yeah, all the. I mean, they're they're still, <laughs> as you said, it's only three movies away, and they still had all their kind of top hand drawn animation animators there working on this, and so. Um, so yeah, you still get, um, you know, the same guy. Oh, what's his name? I should know it. Um, you know, this the same guy who animated Ariel and and uh Belle, you know, is is animating Tiana, you know, and uh uh Andreas Deha is still there. He's he did um Mother Odie and um uh Goldberg is still there, he's the one who, you know, uh did the genie and he does uh does Lewis, you know, so yeah, yeah, you still have all the all the really big names. In right. the animation world, uh, still there. And, and it's stuff. like they hadn't made a movie in so long that they decided to pull out all the stops. And so in addition to the, the kind of quote-unquote realistic animation you get for most of the movie, there's a number of sequences that use very stylized animation. And it's a different style for each of those. So it really is a tour de force in terms of the animation, the, the character design and the animation, and then the various sequences. It's all terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, very, very beautiful. Um, yeah, so, yeah, maybe, I, I don't know. Where, where do you want to start? <laughs> you want to run through some of those, or where do, where do you want to start? I, I would like to start with the music. Um, this is the only Disney musical uh, where the songs w- were written by Randy Newman, who, uh, unfortunately, I think most people know for doing the music for toy story and mm-hmm. uh and uh what's the one with the monsters monsters inc and uh, a number of other pixar movies and i said unfortunately not because those are bad by any stretch of the imagination but because randy newman's non soundtrack work is so amazing and so important to me and so different from what he does with uh with children's movie soundtracks Mm-hmm. Then it's a shame to me that we know him mostly as these this writer of these kind of cheerful little children's songs. And I think mm-hmm. um, The Princess and the Frog is nice because it's a full-length musical. It gives him a little bit more space to stretch out and, and do the kind of character work that, that his his uh, pop material is really known for. How much do you know about Randy Newman? Uh, I honestly, yeah, I, I fall more into that. Uh, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know him in his uh, Pixar work. He's done nine, uh, dis- or I guess he's done nine Disney Pixar films. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, so that's uh, all the Toy Stories, which all four Toy Stories: uh, Bugs Life, Monsters Inc., Cars, uh, and uh, Cars Three, and Monsters University. He did all those. Right. And so. he, he does a lot of film scores for a lot of other stuff as well. Um, but then he also has, I don't know, a dozen or so solo albums, the the tone of which can probably best be described as unbelievably sour. 
<laughs> these very dark like character studies where he's he's singing from the perspective of absolutely horrifying people mm. um but he does it in a in a cheerful way so you don't notice until you like he has a song called sail away for example that you'll hear 15 20 times before you realize that the narrator is attempting to convince africans to come with him to charleston and oh by the way he's a slave trader so he's like making this pitch for them to to join him, but the song is so pretty and it has this beautiful um, string section that unless you're really paying attention, you won't even notice. So like Randy Newman is not I don't know who at Pixar made the decision that Randy Newman was going to be their house songwriter, but he's to, to me he was not the the immediate person I would have thought of in 1994 or whenever Toy Story whenever they were picking the uh, the, the guy who's going to write the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the thing about all of those movies is they're not musicals, right? So each of them has a theme song, which is, you know, his theme songs are great. But then um, this one, because it is a full musical, he's getting to write from the perspective of all these characters. And so he gets to play with that a little bit. Uh, And so, you know, none of it feels like his solo work. None of it is nearly as sour as his solo work is. But I I think he does a a really terrific job with these songs. and in particular, he does a good job of bringing in all these different sorts of music that are that are associated with New Orleans. So it's not just the kind of New Orleans R&B, which he always does very well in his solo work, and which Dr. John sings the the opening the opening song uh, down in New Orleans, which is uh, a terrific song, right? But there's also the Zydeco song um, that's sung by the Firefly. Um, and, and there's Friends on the Other Side, which is something closer to a jazz song. And I, I really, you know, Randy Newman has a long history with the city of New Orleans. He used to go there a lot when he was a kid. I think he had some family members there. So he, he is in some ways a natural fit for this. Uh, but he, he does a, a really, a really good job with the, with the music. I, I don't think there's a song in here that isn't terrific. Yeah, um, yeah. I re- I actually, so yeah. <laughs> like I said, I'm I'm more of the I know I know of Randy Newman and more than I know like his his actual solo work. I do you know like obviously I'm aware of his Pixar work. Um, but I felt like this was, um, maybe like you said because it's it's he's working on it as a musical. I felt like this was was better than any of the the Pixar stuff, personally. Yeah. I, I think so. Um, they're, they're, it's just great song after great song after great song, and the vocal performances are very good, but the, the bones of the songs are, are really there. Now, I think he was actually the second choice. I think they had Alan Menken coming in to write the songs, and um, Lasseter bumped Menken and put in Randy Newman. And, I mean, you know, Alan Menken, his music was the only good thing about Home on the Range, so I'm not I'm not putting down Alan Menken, but I think Newman is definitely the the better choice just because of his connection to to New Orleans and the and the way he has used the, those styles of music throughout his um, throughout his recording career. Right, and we'll get Menken back uh, next <laughs> next uh, next movie because he he did the the soundtrack for Tangled. So. Right, so no, no reason to weep for for Alan Menken. Yeah. Uh, make sure that if you decide to get into Newman's solo material, Josh, that your daughters aren't in the car with you while you're listening to it. 
some of it, it you, the thing he's really good at um in my opinion is satire that has a certain amount of affection for the person being satirized uh which is is you know good for writing like a villain song or something like that for a movie Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes you have to dig a little deeper to find the sympathy for the, for the person. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Dig, dig a little. Well, yeah. Dig a little deeper is a great little song here. Yeah. The big gospel number. Mm-hmm. When we're human is a kind of Dixieland jazz thing. Going to take you there is the one I was thinking of. That's Zydeco, which is a style of music you never hear in the movies. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. other than this, I think probably the most famous pop Zydeco song is uh, The Boy in the Bubble by Paul Simon. But to me, I mean, Down in New Orleans, the first song is is the best song. Like, it's it's just it it's it sets the tone for the movie movie. Personally, mm-hmm. it's great to hear Dr. John sing it. Who's you know, one of pop music's great weirdos, but the the exact right person to intro this this uh, this movie. Yep. Yeah. Well, I thought I thought all the songs were were great. Almost there is really good. Uh, the villain song "Friends on the Other Side" is really good. So, yeah, great, great musical. Good job, Disney. <laughs> when this is their first musical since what? Um, man, we got to go back a ways. It's been since. Wow, I don't even know. I don't Do even have it on my. Brother Bear's not really a musical, right? Home on Home on the Range is not really a musical. No, yeah. So that's why I'm Tarzan, maybe. So that's yeah. that's ten years. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is all the way back to Tarzan. Which even Tarzan is kind of a well, Tarzan is definitely a musical. Like it's it, but it's kind of a weird one. We, we talked about that in the in our Tarzan episode. People can go back and listen to it. <laughs> it's not the characters singing the songs for the most part, right? Yeah, yeah that's uh, true. So it's it's really so it's not really, a musical the way this it's, is. It's really Mulan is the the last one, uh, which is way back in '98. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been it's been a long time since they went back to the to the musical. I'm glad they did. It's really, uh, yeah. I like I like the I like the music. And to to move the setting to New Orleans for the music is is a good choice too. I think. Right, right. Is this is this is the first, um, the first fairy tale movie they've done set in the United States? Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So I mean, they've yeah. had they've had movies set in the United States, but this and not very many of them. But this is the this is the first one that is like explicitly a fairy tale and also explicitly set in the United States and. Its setting in the United States is probably more um, concrete than most of the other um, most of the other movies, most of the other fairy tale movies, don't you think? Yeah, because most of the fairy tale movies are just kind of I don't know generic Europe or right. something, right. you know. Right. Um, so or even something yeah. like Dumbo. Dumbo's set in Florida, I think, but it doesn't need to be set in Florida. It could be set anywhere. This is something right. much closer to Brother Bear, you know, where the the setting is super important for the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I've never been to New Orleans. My understanding is some people in New Orleans kind of feel like this is this movie is a a cartoon version of New Orleans that they're just kind of hitting the big sites. And I can't I can't speak to that. 
but um wait a second a cartoon it, movie <laughs> i get it yeah it's literally a cartoon version of new Orleans. you know what i mean um, and i i i don't i don't know about that um i don't have i don't i don't have that connection to new orleans but i i i did feel like they they did a good job showing different parts of new orleans it starts in the garden district and goes way out to the um I don't even know the name of the name. Maybe it's Treme, where the where where uh, Tiana's family lives when she's growing up, and then way out to the Bayou, and you know down down to the French Quarter for the parade. And so they're they're hitting stuff that everybody knows about New Orleans, but they are keeping they are keeping the um, they are keeping the setting kind of varied while still being very concretely in this place that has a lot of personality. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they did it really well. I don't know. I mean, I've never been to New Orleans either, and so I, I'm sure it's different as an insider, you know, um, which, I mean, but that's kind of the case for a lot of the movies we've watched, you know? <laughs> like, um, I don't know, like, I mean, Peter Pan, we've talked about, you know, Edwardian London and, like, what a, you know, what a fairy tale it already feels like. That You know, why did they even need to escape to, to Neverland, you right. know? But, like... Obviously, I've never been. I've never been to London, period. Let alone Edwardian London, you know, um, or uh, uh, you know, New York City, you know, on uh, in like the Rescuers, you know. I remember we were both both kind of like, wow, you know, like even though it's kind of uh, dump, like still the dumpy, trashy New York City, there was something very uh, romantic about it, the way that they they drew it in the Rescuers, you know. Right. Yeah, well, there's something so. there's something about just the specificity of the location that makes it attractive, even if it's even if it's trying to be unattractive. And I, I I'm sure I gave out my theories on that in the Rescuers episode. Uh, my my kind of variation on Truffaut's law, where if you Truffaut's law, I, th- I think it's Truffaut says there's no way to to show a war without uh, glorifying it mm. or romanticizing it. I I. I don't know what you want to call it, farmer's law, but I, I think there's no way to show an actual concrete place, no matter how ugly, and not make it beautiful in some way. And uh, the the rescuers is a great example of that. Now, this is not trying to make New Orleans look bad at all. Even the parts of New Orleans that are kind of scruffy, um, the shotgun shacks in Tiana's neighborhood when she's growing up, you know, it's it's not trying to make those look dumpy or scuzzy. It's it, it that that ends up being the kind of spiritual heart of the whole city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> a little. Uh, it's 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 definitely played for juxtaposition, right? <laughs> you know, right between, from the Garden District. Yeah, or the yeah, um, but it's also like you said, like it's 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 showed to be very. Um, welcoming and inviting and everyone you know everyone hangs out on that back porch right and that, one, brought, that brought wonderful together. scene where they find out he's making gumbo and everybody in the neighborhood brings food and comes mm-hmm. and you're like oh well this is why he wants a restaurant it's not he wants to be rich or famous or whatever it's that he wants to feed people yeah and he, and he and learns this from this neighborhood he lives in i i thought i thought that was very touching but also very grounded in this location mm-hmm I guess, and I have no idea what that neighborhood is, and I assume it's based on a real neighborhood. I, I have no idea what that neighborhood is really like. Maybe, maybe that's a fantasy. I don't know, but it's certainly, um, it's certainly an effective fantasy in this fairy tale movie. Mm-hmm. While we're talking setting, we should probably talk about time period because I think if the movie falters, this is a place where it might falter. So it's set in the twenties, and um, 
it is about in, at least in some ways it's about black and white relationships in the 20s and i i i did feel like they they whitewashed no pun intended some of the more unpleasant aspects of black life in new orleans in the 1920s what did you think yeah i mean it did feel um you know, I, I hate to use the term Disney-fied, like, in a disparaging way, you know, but I feel like in this instance, it did feel a little Disney-fied. Um, you know, one thing, I don't I don't know a lot about New Orleans, and so you can tell me if I'm way off. One thing I've heard is that New Orleans is different. Yes, than I've heard that, too. the rest of the South and it was, well, it's a Creole city, right? So it's a city where, where there, there are a lot, there have always been a lot of different sorts of people racially and otherwise living close together. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think, I think that probably, I, I at least have heard that. Yeah. As I've, as have I now that I don't say that to uh, whitewash the history either. And I'm sure that there's plenty of, um, you know, things that have happened in New Orleans that, that, you know, we would, we would be disgusted by. Um, but I, I do feel like setting it in New Orleans gave it a, at least that little bit of cover, maybe, you know, in order for Disney to, cause that's not really what they're after in this movie, you know, like that's not really the story they're trying to tell. And so, yeah, I agree with you that I think it was, it was maybe just kind of risky to try and, and set anything there. Um, it was probably less risky in uh 2009 oh, yeah. but it would be if they were doing it today yeah absolutely. You know? well if they made it today it would be entirely about race and it would be i think kind of a tedious movie right where, where yeah. this in in 2009 it was you know obama was the the first black president of what a month he was inaugurated a month after this movie came out mm -hmm. and and so it, it seemed like you know it's it kind of silly to think back on it but it seemed like we were turning some sort of corner in terms of race relations in the united states so they could just kind of wink at it mm -hmm. but i i was interested in the fact that um the the white girl whom she grows up with is a real friend to her throughout the movie and th there's a couple points where she doesn't really understand that things are different for tiana than they are for her either because of race or class but but she really does love her and wants to help her um mm -hmm. and i i thought that was a that is not what i expected from this movie yeah uh yeah i i think they could have gone the, the other way re really rather easily you know like they could have um yeah played up the fact that that charlotte is not a true i think charlotte's her name yeah it's not a true it's not a true friend um but uh but yeah you're right they didn't they just they decided to go with a with a real uh friendship which is something I think we've talked about too, you know, like you don't always have, uh, particularly in the princess movies, you don't always have the princess, um, you know, having real good female friends, you know? Um, so, so yeah, that was, that was cool. That was good. Yeah. I mean, that, that's true. And in, in that, in that sense, it, it can even seem like kind of a warm up for, um, for frozen. I mean, this this is not a movie that is primarily about her relationship with another woman, but it is about her relationship with another woman in a way that, like, Cinderella is not, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely Cinderella is not. 
the 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 part that is most explicitly about race is the part with the uh where she has put down the down payment on this abandoned sugar mill that she's going to turn into a a restaurant and they they tell her that someone with her background can't possibly expect to be able to run it so they they remove the contract from her then and that's the kind of raisin in the sun moment have you seen that play raisin in the sun uh i I don't think I've seen it. I think I had to read it at some point. <laughs> You'd have to remind me what it. Uh, Raising the uh, Sun's about a black family in Chicago in the fifties, and and they have saved up to buy a house, and the uh, they run into some problems with the homeowners association in the neighborhood. And I think I think this is it, it's not exactly the same thing, but I think it's probably meant to recall that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they do it without without really hammering home that the issue is that she's black. Um, in, in, instead, the way they say your background, it could just as easily be talking about race. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm sorry, about uh, class, not race. Yeah. But it, I don't know. Again, like, it's hard when you're watching things with 2022 eyes. It definitely felt yeah, like true. A, that's true. A, a racial comment. Isn't, that... it, isn't it funny how quickly it changed, like, how, how different 2009 feels to 2022 i mean it's just it's it's not that long ago it's 13 years ago yeah yeah it's it is wild how much things have changed um i'm sure when they inevitably make the live action version of this it will um it will give in to a lot of the criticisms that i've just been voicing right and it'll be much more explicitly political and racial and all that stuff yeah. Which I mean I, I can imagine this movie having been better if they had leaned into it a little bit more, but at the same time I'm glad that it wasn't just a I think even in 2009 I remember people being worried that it was going to be just some sort of political screed and it's not that at all. Mm. No, it isn't. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess they made some of that, you know, like, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, what what tiana wants is is you know you have to as you're as you're telling a story you have to make sure that your audience is 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 wanting your character to succeed at what they're at what they're wanting you know and so i think you know her wanting to to run her own restaurant um they needed they needed a way to you know make that land you know like um it is it is kind of a concrete wish in a way that's different than like, you know, what's bells like, I mean, you have the, I want songs, right. And all the, all these movies we've talked about it, you know? So like, but bell is like, just trying, trying to feel like, you know, there must be more than this provincial life, you know, like she's trying to like figure out like where she belongs, you know, it's a little more generic and universal, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, versus like i want i want a restaurant you know right. and so i think so tiana is harder to identify with because it's so much more concrete yeah maybe but so then i think that they you know they put these obstacles in her way or maybe even injustices in her way with in the case of like oh someone of your background because then the audience can get on board with like oh well she's been slighted and so she's because she's been slighted. Now I'm definitely on her side, and I want her to get that restaurant, even if I I don't care what it was that she wanted. I want her to get it because she was slighted, and so now I'm on the side of justice, you know. And like, I know justice is another like 
word that means a different thing in 2022. I just mean like in general, you know, <laughs> like, like in general, like as, as audiences, like we get on the side of, of the person who's been slighted because we want them to, to succeed. You know, we want them to overcome that. Right. Well, and, and the other part of the reason we want her to succeed though, is because she, she embodies this, american myth that if you just work hard enough the good things will come to you right and so she's been working two jobs for however long her father works so hard like she she lives this incredibly virtuous lifestyle so she can get this material reward that america promises people and then she runs into these problems with getting it and and it it's you know it's it's very moving because of that right but there's also a little bit of um, of playing with that American myth as well, because you're right that they uh, that that is definitely her worldview is this, you know, work hard and good things will come to you. Um, but part of what she needs to learn is that there's more to life than just working hard, you know, like she needs a little bit of, you know, I mean, she needs love in her life you know and not just uh romantic love but like any kind of love like family love you know uh platonic love um and you know you don't get that through hard work (laughs) you know like that's a that's a different a different lane you know and so she needs to kind of kind of learn that as well so they kind of they they kind of have it both ways i guess with with that uh with that hard work virtuous life yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I think I think she does kind of meet uh, Prince Naveen in the middle. Yeah. Although she's so much like so fundamentally more likable than he is that for for much of the length of the movie you think, oh man, I hope they don't fall in love with each other. No, you know they will. <laughs> yeah, he definitely needs to. Uh... Yeah, some of his rough edges get softened by her. That's definitely true. <laughs> we spend a lot of time with both of them, though. I th- I was trying to remember what other um, fairy tales where you really get both characters. I guess a little bit Aladdin. You you know you spend a lot of time with both jaz- with both Jasmine and Aladdin. Yeah. But like, I mean, if you're going back to like classic fairy tales, like you couldn't say anything you couldn't even say who the prince was you know what's right. the guy's right. name at least you until know? you get to sleeping beauty where sleeping beauty herself is kind of a cipher and prince philip is the one who you really understand right yeah so yeah so i thought i thought having them both be i mean she's she's likable all the way through but she's also one of those characters where like but we're not friends with her. Like her friends don't, I mean, her friends like her, but you know, there's that moment where her friends are like, we told you she wouldn't come. She doesn't, you know, like all she does is work, you know, she doesn't have any time for us. And so there's, there is a little bit of like, yeah, she's very virtuous and hardworking and there's something very admirable about that. But like, you don't have to be a friend. That's true. <laughs> you know, you're just rooting for her in a movie, you know, That's true. and yeah, same thing with Prince Naveen, like, you know, oh, he's this happy go lucky fun you know baloo sort of guy you know and it's like oh yeah it'd be a lot of fun to be around for about 15 minutes and then it'd be like dude can you you know can you settle on anything at all without running off to the next thing every two two seconds so what's the name of the country he's supposedly the prince of um oh i forget maldonia yeah something like that 
do, do you get a sense of where that's supposed to be? Like even what part of the world it's supposed to be in? <laughs> no. <laughs> he, well, because I, I did, I did have some more racial questions about this because I, I would, I would be interested in knowing where in the world he's from that he could, he could marry either the white girl or the black girl. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I would think that I don't know what anti-miscegenation laws specifically look like in New Orleans in the 1920s. But it, it seems improbable to me that both of them would be an option for him. I think the actor is Brazilian. Yeah, maybe he's from, yeah, somewhere in uh, South America. some One of those, like, uh, you know, mythical golden cities in South America. But he seems to speak French. Yeah, I, I, really, I really didn't know. But that's fine. I mean, again... Um, they're they're trying to dance around some of the racial stuff, and that's okay. Yeah, that's a really good question. I I didn't Maldonia. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to see if I can find anything right now, but I'm not seeing anything. Yep, no idea where Maldonia is. I'm sure there's. It's got to be it. See, sometimes we're we're not in the right sort of Disney bubble, you and I, Michael. I'm sure that there is some like, you know, Disney Disney uh, dig a little deeper into some sort of Disney center of the internet, and I'm sure they have Maldonia mapped along with uh, all the countries and that are mentioned in Frozen and everything, you know, like it's all part of the same world. The name is a portmanteau of the real life countries of the Maldives and North Macedonia. It should be okay. noted that the chief language of Maldonia, called Maldakesh is derived from the Italian language. So maybe he's Italian? Okay. All right. Auto there you go. I don't remember hearing the language Malakesh. Neither do I. Oh, well. <laughs> what a thing to care about. I wish I had more to say on it. I just really, like, I didn't, I didn't even think to, like, go down that rabbit trail in my research. So... <laughs> should have it would have been fun he seems fascinated though by the uh by the culture of new orleans like it seems like he 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 comes to new orleans with you know he's he's interested in you know the music and the yeah just the, the fun and, and stuff of of new orleans that's why he's there so again new orleans kind of kind of plays its own character in the movie bringing these people together right well and there's a um there's some there's some precedent for that. I'm thinking um, there's a poem by so Senegal's first president was a poet. His name was I think it was his first president Leopold Sangar Sador Sangar I think is his name. He's a great poet, but um, but he's the president of Senegal and he he visited New York and he has this poem called New York, and he's he's just kind of horrified by New York by how tightly wound everybody is and they're all wearing these suits and they they just kind of walk around to work and they're you know joyless and then he makes it up to harlem and he says oh gosh you know like this is where the life in new york city is mm -hmm. and I, I i i thought of that poem when i um when i saw prince naveen encounter new orleans it's like he's he's understanding that the the kind of spiritual part of um of the country belongs to these kind of creole areas mm -hmm. where everything is mixing together 
Yeah, and so there's a sense of like, how do you capture that? I mean, as a as a leader, you know, like a world leader, you know, like how do you capture that, but not uh, exploit it, you know? <laughs> right. So. But in his case, I don't know that he's even, because he's not really, yeah, he's not really acting as a as a world leader of some kind. He's, you know, he's on the outs with his family. He's, he's basically trying to solve that problem, <laughs> you know. Right. Like, that's the, which gets at I think a really good theme in this movie. I, I'm really on board with the theme of this movie, um, as presented by Mama Odie, that what you want and what you need are not always the same and um often we spend so much time focusing on what we want that we can miss what we need i thought that was i thought it was really well done in the movie and i thought it's a it's a pretty pretty good theme you know well right and it 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 allows them to make the um the contrast between good voodoo and bad voodoo right because uh facilier the the shadow man he's pure desire and Mm -hmm. he gets his power by manipulating other people based on their desires. Mm -hmm. Whereas mama Odie, it really, like you said, it really is for her. It is, it's about kind of making do with what you have and, and finding what you need in that rather than want, want, want. Yeah. Which uh, Naveen and Prince Naveen and Tiana are totally not getting, <laughs> you know. She, she sings the whole song, but um, <laughs> she they 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 don't get it at all, you know. They have to they have to learn it for themselves. But I think is I don't know. I I was really like wow. I really like this, you know. Like I feel like this is really like. Um, you know, it's it's not exactly, uh, you know, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? But it's it's along those lines, you know, like, like, what 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 do you actually need out of life? You know, instead of just like you said, like that constant the constant desire, the constant chasing of the of the passion and stuff. Yeah, and but and and that is not and that's not really a theme we've seen before, is it? No, because I do feel like they often the themes are closer to, um, yeah. I mean the the ones that they're kind of playing and tweaking with in this movie, you know, like the wish upon a star and um, you know work hard and and good things will come to you, you know, like um, you know that you know both of those both of those themes are really wrapped up in. Uh, you know, in in the Disney mythos, you know, um, both Walt Disney the man, and then you know Disney itself, you know, like at the the uh, you know the movies and stuff that that we've been going through here. I feel like this is there, there's a real they really dug a little deeper in a way, you know, into you know they scratched beyond the surface of both of those with this movie in a way that yeah, not. I, I'm tr- I'm trying to think of you know where have we really seen that before, where you know I mean maybe something like um, 
Jungle Book where, you know, the whole time he's he's thinking he wants to live in the jungle and not realizing, like, actually he needs to be with his own kind, you know? Um, but But that one is so... I mean, that's a real stretch to push it back to Jungle Book because I remember, you know, so often as a kid watching Jungle Book, like I was like, no, you know, like you spent so long wanting him to be in the jungle and wanting him to get what he wants that it fe- that the ending actually feels wrong in some ways, you know. Right. Yeah, it, it is a it is a disappointment when he doesn't get to stay, whereas the ending here, she gets what she wanted and more mm-hmm. um, because she's willing to give it up. Which is, yeah. there's a, there's a, it's not a Christian movie in a, any meaningful way, but that is a Christian motion, right? You, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's kind of what happens. They've given up. They've given up on actually getting the things they want. They think they're going to stay frogs forever. And then it's only by staying frogs, loving each other. And then, you know, she becomes a princess and the kiss turns them back into people that they both get the things they want. Right. Yes. That's really good insight Like that, that I had. I I wasn't I wasn't connecting all the dots, but you're right. Like, like that it's that sacrifice, you know. It's not just need versus want. It's actually I'm going to sacrifice what I want, um, and then it 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 opens you up into a new, um, where where you get it. I don't I don't know. I, I, the way you said it was was better than the way I'm I'm repeating it back, but like. Yeah, you get you get it and more. Yeah, which is I mean, which is nice. Like, um, well, we Shrek has been the kind of shadow over over these movies for the last five or six months, right? Um, and and mm-hmm. to to some extent, what you get here, it looks like it's going to be what you get in Shrek, where they you know they stay ogres, they don't turn. I actually, he turns her into an ogre instead of her turning him back into a human being. Um, but but here, like they they look like they're going to give you that, and then it uh, it spins back around, and they they get to be humans again anyway. But mm-hmm. they have to go through that despair first, where it stops being despair and starts being acceptance. Right. It's a little bit. Uh... I think the Lion King is the other one where, you know, as far as like hitting the hitting a theme that really like resonates and is deep, like Simba has to go through a similar when you summarized it that way, like Simba has to go through a similar arc as that, right? Like Simba wants to be king and he does end up being king, but he has to go through the despair <laughs> and then as you know, and um and and then as he comes out, like his hopefully his kingdom is way better because he didn't just, you know, skip straight to the being the king part. You right. Know? Right. There's a maturity or there's a, a depth of character or there's a virtue or there's something in the not obtaining the thing because you just want to obtain it, but like obtaining it because you, you know, you, you obtained it almost as a secondary thing, you know, like it, it wasn't the main thing you were obtaining. You were, you were obtaining, uh, you know, in their case, like they were obtaining this, this love and this relationship with each other. That was what they, they were after, um, when they finally realized what they needed and then they, they got what they wanted in addition, you know? 
so yeah that's, i mean that's a that's a nice that's a nice movement i think in the movie um and and a, li- a little bit of a change from some of the other things we've seen yeah as you said it really resonates well with the christian story it's not it's not the christian story but it's it resonates well with it i did find myself wondering what practitioners of voodoo think about this movie <laughs> so did i <laughs> But I, I guess the the woman Mama Odie is based on is a real person, and she gave them advice about how to portray voodoo. So hmm. um, maybe maybe the fact that Mama Odie exists and it's not just this kind of wicked man appealing to the spirits to get whatever he wants, maybe that I, I don't know. I don't have a dog in that fight. Not practicing voodoo myself. <laughs> but I, I did think, my goodness, um, this certainly doesn't make me want to be a <laughs> be a voodoo priest. Right. As maybe it shouldn't. I don't know. I I find the uh, yeah. So yeah, I actually I'm a little I'm a little uncomfortable with. I mean, I like the Mama Odie character, but I am a little uncomfortable with her as a Christian, right? Like, where is her power coming from, you know? Like, because she's still calling it voodoo, you know? Um, and and so there is there is something kind of kind of odd about that. Like, it's much easier to, uh, you know, to other, <laughs> you know, uh, the shadow man and be like, oh, well, he's you know, he's, he's obviously evil and he's, he's messing with, you know, dark spirits and powers or demons or whatever you want to call it, you know, that he doesn't really understand and he thinks he controls them, but they're controlling him. Like, you know, like that's, it's a little easier to be like, yeah, that's, you know, that, that fits the, the worldview, I guess. Right. In a way, you know, whereas like, oh wait, there's good voodoo. (laughs) Like, Okay, I'm not sure where that fits in with with my worldview, but right, and the, and the good voodoo seems to be based on not assuming the spirits are going to do whatever you tell them to do, which I guess is having more respect for the spirit world than the. But yeah, I uh, I, I don't think I would go to Mama Odie either. <laughs> Although maybe I would if I had been turned into a turned into a frog, and she only a voodoo priestess could save me. <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. It's true. Hmm. I don't know. Can you, can you go to a? <laughs> can you go to the Pope for that? I don't know. With the Pope. <laughs> the, everybody does seem to be Catholic because uh, the the wedding takes place at uh, St. Louis Cathedral there in <clears throat> there in uh, New Orleans. Right. And that, I mean, that's another thing of the character of the city, again, as an outsider who's never been there. Like, this is the, the mythos, I guess, of, of New Orleans, you know, is this very, uh, what's that called? Syn- Syn- synchronistic. Syn- yeah, syncretic, synchronistic. Yeah, uh, sort of city where, yeah, every, everything's Catholic, but not the Pope's Catholic. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's, right. It's Catholic mixed with, uh, with all these other things. Um, you know, voodoo and stuff all plays a part and whatever. So. Right. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, it did make me a little bit, uh, a little bit uncomfortable, but a great villain. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Dr. Facilier. Yeah, absolutely. 
Whether Super you're pro voodoo or anti voodoo, that's the that's the interesting <laughs> thing about him. He works as a villain either way because he is. I mean, if Mama Odie is the 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 good voodoo priestess, the one who like understands what she's doing and has respect for the spirit world, he has no respect for anything other than himself, and mm-hmm. that's what ends up killing him, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a great song. He's definitely. I mean, and, and I, again, like playing off of, of our tropes of what we've seen, you know, like he's got a little bit of Ursula in him, uh-huh. you know, as far as like, you know, tricking people with their own desires. Um, he's got a little bit of, uh, um, I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to think of what other, what other villains he really re- reflects well. Um, Certainly his song has a great deal in common with uh, Poor Unfortunate Souls. Right. But also with Be Prepared, right? I mean, he, he mm-hmm. maybe doesn't seem that much like Scar, but um, the the whole the whole setup of his song is, is, is not dissimilar from Be Prepared. Right. Yeah. And I really liked that animation sequence. It really... It's... It's like you said, like it's it's the tour de force, you know, so like they really the things that animation does well is stuff like that song, you know, where it doesn't have to stay grounded in uh, in a setting, (laughs) you know, it's kind of all over the place. And it's and it kind of almost just becomes shapes and colors and stuff. And it's it's really wonderful. And he is performed terrifically by Keith David. Who is uh, not scary at all in real life. <laughs> you know, who we haven't really talked about. I guess we haven't talked about Lewis or about Ray. And um, God help me, Ray. I uh, He's the sort of character I usually hate. But I really liked him. I, I, found, <laughs> I found that character annoying at first. But Jim, Jim Cummings does such a good job bringing humanity and pathos to that character that by the time he gets stepped on near the end of the Mm -hmm. movie, it's just utterly devastating. Yeah. Here again, I wonder what real Cajuns think of that performance (laughs) because it does seem to be a collection of stereotypes, but he, he manages to endow those stereotypes with, with some sort of real emotion at least. Yeah. He's really the, <laughs> the light of the movie, oh, um, <laughs> but I mean, really, he is like they're lost without him, you know. And you know, like, yeah, Mother Odie's kind of the fairy godmother, but he's like, I don't know, he's more than the Jiminy Cricket. Like, he, I, I think Jiminy Cricket would be the one that that most people would like, you know, because they're both bugs or whatever, you know. Like, he is kind of the the con- the conscious, but like. He's um, he's he's faithful, and he you know he guides them through uh, to where they need to be, and he gives good advice, and he like never gets you know he's complete completely gracious, <laughs> like he never gets upset with them, you know, even when they get upset with with him or upset with each other, and they take it out on him, you know. Tiana's got that one scene where she you know really is like you know, open your eyes before you get hurt and tells him that Evangeline's just a star, you know, it's pretty brutal, but 
He's just completely gracious all the way through it. Have you heard the fan theory that Evangeline is the blue fairy from Pinocchio? <laughs> there it is. All right. Okay, great. Yes. And then, okay, and then so she Evangeline... rewards him for his, his faithful service by making him a, a permanent fixture in the night sky. Okay. Yes. All right. That's 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 the the rabbit trail I was looking for earlier when we were talking about <laughs> where is uh, uh, Maldonia. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How'd that boat get in the tree? You know, right. King Triton blew it up there. Right. Yeah. That's that's that's, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for in this podcast. <laughs> or it's the. Uh, yeah. Somehow that, that boat in the tree has to relate back to uh, rescuers somehow. <laughs> yeah, which I guess was the last time that we made it to, uh, to the Louisiana. Bayou. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. <clears throat> of course, we're 50 years before that. Oh, that's true. Never mind. Darn it. But yeah, I, um, I, I was, su- I was surprised to not hate that character. Because he is definitely the sort of character I usually hate, and I liked Lewis yeah. too. Now I, that didn't surprise me, but um, I liked. I thought Lewis was a great addition to the movie, and just yeah. a, an amazing performance by. I guess he's a Broadway guy because I'd never heard of him. Michael Leon Woolley, mm. just a, a a terrific, enormous performance from him. Yeah, maybe my, is... my favorite sequence in the movie is the flashback where he jumps up on the on the steamship to, to join the jazz band. Like that is, that is a tremendous piece of animation. Yeah. 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 I really like Lewis and yeah, he's a bit of a throwback too, to the, you know, the animations, the, the, the kind of classic Disney animation style of, of animals. And uh, yeah, just the, the very, very, very cartoony, you know? Yes. Um, but he works so great in this movie. And, uh, and again, getting back to like what animation can do so well, like he's, you know, later in the movie when they think that he's just in costume, you know, like all those, all those Mardi Gras costumes are so great. You know, they're, they're so improbable as, as, as actual costumes that would ever exist, but because it's because it's a two D animated, it all works. Right, you know? right. You don't have to ask the question. And I like and that so, everybody just accepts him as part of the band at the end in Tiana's palace. Yeah. <laughs> the Firefly, the Firefly Five plus Lou. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty great. And, you know, while we're talking about vocal performances, we probably need to talk about Anika Noni Rose's Tiana, which is in, in some ways a thank, thankless role. Um, she's kind of the straight man that everybody reacts to, right? but she does just a, a great job in this movie. And mm-hmm. the movie wouldn't work without her performance at the center of it or without, you know, a similar performance at the center of it. And she uh, just um, just hits it exactly the way it needs to be hit. Yep. Does she do her singing, too? Yeah. Yeah, great song. Another great animation sequence, too. Well, and then one more person to talk about is uh, John Goodman as Big Daddy, playing the the John Goodman part, right? 
Yeah. There, there are two <laughs> sorts of John Goodman roles. One is this, and the other is only in Coen Butters movies where he gets to be the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I've never seen John Goodman be bad in anything, even when he's in something bad. So no, no surprise that he's terrific in this. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely wonderful. As, a, as the king, five years in a row. <laughs> I wonder how you get voted Mardi Gras king. That must be a real thing, right? I'm. It's got to be, but I have no idea. I don't know what the... I mean, according to the Shadow Man, it's just because he has so much money. I'm sure so. that has something to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I'll probably never be Mardi Gras King. Let me put it that way. <laughs> of course, if I lived in New Orleans, I'd be heading out of town right before Mardi Gras. I wouldn't want to be there. It sounds awful. I used to leave Omaha before the uh, before the the College World Series came through. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. oh man, I love the College World Series. Well. Maybe you should go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. <laughs> Maybe I should. <laughs> I think I'd rather go back to Omaha for the College World Series. Is it still there? I feel like they moved it. When are they going to make no, the Omaha set Disney fairy tale movie? Yeah, we should we should write that. I don't know. It could, yeah, it could, it could be like a corn doll or something that comes to life. I don't know. I'd have to look at Hans Christian Andersen and see if I could figure something out. <laughs> Look at like a really loving portrait of Omaha in like 2003. <laughs> Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes is somehow involved. It'd be awesome. We should do it. All right, I'm there for it. The other great American city besides New Orleans, Omaha. <laughs> That would be a great T-shirt, actually. Omaha, the other great American city, it's, and then every, every, nobody has to ask what the what the first one is. It's just the other. It's the other one. It's better than their slogan <laughs> when I lived there, which was the Big O. I remember when I lived in Omaha, New Orleans was the cheapest major American city to live in, and I guess Omaha wasn't considered a, a major American city. Uh, it was, just, mm. it was too small, but it was because Katrina had just come through, so you know. A lot of people quite reasonably moved out of New Orleans. Mm. I did see some speculation online about what would happen to Tiana's palace after um, after Hurricane Katrina, but of course, after Hurricane but of course Tiana would be, you know, very very old by then, if not already become a star in the night sky. Hmm. That's true. Cause this is, <laughs> yeah. I guess she'd be like ninety. Yeah, you figure she's. Although if she's hanging out with Mother Odie. She's still got another, <laughs> another hundred years to live that's, at ninety. That's true. Yeah, so... yeah. I mean, Mother Odie's what, one hundred and ninety-seven? Something like that. Yeah. There's the sequel we need, Disney. A <laughs> hundred and ninety-year-old. Tiana hanging out with a 350-year-old Mama Odie. In the year 2100. They're just, like, rocking on a front porch <laughs> talking about how things were in the 20s. <laughs> how they don't care for hip-hop. Yeah. <laughs> 
You you know the other thing, the other kind of time period thing that doesn't come up in this movie is prohibition. You wonder you wonder how well Tiana's palace is going to do once prohibition starts. Oh yeah. Or if she's gonna if it's going to be an illegal uh, speakeasy. <laughs> she seems kind of rules based. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But maybe Prince Naveen. I think you're actually coming up, Michael, with like a, a Disney Plus show now. Where you know there's follow... going to be a Disney Plus show about Tiana. Yeah, but why not? Why not a Disney Plus show that follows Tiana through the events of the 20th century, and how did, how does she react? Oh, just like every episode's you know? a different decade. Yeah, leading up to uh, Katrina. <laughs> it's a dark ending. Well, maybe not leading up to Katrina. Maybe Katrina is like I don't know. She's like so she's like decade. friends with Fats Domino in the fifties. Like Fat, Fats Domino keeps coming down to Tiana's palace. He gets his start there. Yeah, I love this. All right. When is Call when is Michael Disney Eisner. going to recognize our <laughs> obvious brilliance? <laughs> the question on everyone's mind. <laughs> That's the question. Anyway, uh, I like this movie a ton. Uh, it's 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 been so nice to have to look for bad things to say about it instead of looking for good things to say about it. You know, yes, like, we've seen so many movies the last year that have just been overwhelmingly mediocre. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's nice to it's nice to get one that's that's really as good as the classic ones. This is this is right up there. And uh, I don't know if you've heard, uh, you probably have, but they are retheming uh, Splash Mountain at the Disney parks to be about Princess and the Frog. Oh, interesting. Splash Mountain is my favorite ride. I can't say I'm surprised they're doing this. I also can't say I'm too upset about it. I, I like the way it is. It's not, to, to me, the ride itself is not particularly racist because they left out Uncle Remus and some other unpleasant things, but... Also, why have a ride about a movie you're not going to re-release and so nobody's ever going to be able to see it again? So it makes sense to me to redo it. But apparently the new ride is going to take place right after the events of the movie. So I'm interested two years or now, three years from now, whenever it, whenever they're done with it, to see what it's like. I think it'll it'll be a good uh, it'll be a good replacement if they're going to replace it. And there's already yeah. a giant steamship in the last scene in uh, Splash Mountain, so they're not going to have to. They'll have that steamship already built and something to do with it. Nice. Splash Mountain is uh, from Song of the South, I guess. It is, yeah. Which, you know, again, it's a movie they refuse to re-release for reasons that make total sense to me. Um, but it, it does seem strange that they built a ride based on this movie that almost no one has seen. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen Song of the South? No, it's not, I've seen clips. It's not a very good movie. Somebody clip. gave me a, a bootleg of it once. It's, it's, it's really pretty mediocre. It's got some good songs. Um, which they they make good uh, good use of in the in the ride, but I I, yeah. I will be very happy uh, to to ride the new Princess and the Frog Splash Mountain. Yeah, zippity doo dah, right? Zippity doo dah. And how do you do? Yeah. I think is the even better one. How do you do? Mighty friendly greeting. Anyway, you can find that online if you're interested in it. I know yeah. you've never read Splash that's Mountain. Probably, that's probably the clips I've seen. No, I've not read Splash Mountain yet, but or ever. I mean. I'm, 
probably by the time I get to <laughs> to a Disney theme park, it'll be uh, it'll be a Princess and the Frog themed, but that'll be fine. Yeah, so I mean, that's it, it's nice to see that Disney is doing something with it. I I the cynic in me says the only reason they have picked that is because it has a a black lead, and you know they they're they're trying to show how um how with it they are, but. You know, if it's bringing more people to watch this wonderful movie, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the Disney executives need to watch this movie, honestly, because they need to remember, like, oh, yeah, we have a good property here. And it was 2D animated. And <laughs> we never said we were going to stop doing 2D animation. So maybe we should do it again. We obviously can. We're capable. Let's do it. Let's do it. I wonder if they'll ever do another one. Yeah, but of course, know. the thing is, like the stuff that's coming along after this, it's not like they immediately sink into a bunch of terrible 3D films. So the the movies that are coming up next are are great too. I guess, I guess what annoys me is it didn't have to be an either or. They really could have gone back and forth, or even if they put out every fourth movie was a 2D. Like there's still much that can be done with 2D that I don't think can be done with 3D. It's just not the same thing. Um, so why why limit yourself? I agree. I mean, you're preaching to the choir here, right. but like, what? Yeah, you're right. Like, where, where along the line did we decide there could only be one? You know, <laughs> this, the, they are they are very different mediums. You know, to say, and especially nowadays, especially nowadays where the the animation is getting to be so like photorealistic. You know. That it's almost like, I don't know, 2D, 2D really stands in contrast to it. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. As a different, genre is not the right word, just medium. medium art, yeah, it is art a, form. a completely different thing at this point. Yeah, because you can use, you could use it for any genre, as we've seen, as we've gone through these, you know. <clears throat> and the same thing with 3D. Like, you can, you can use 3D to do the genre of princess musical. And we'll see that when we talk about Tangled, you know. Um, but there's still a different medium with the 2D animation that's that's really special, I think. And it's unfortunate. I just I wonder who at the studio would even be advocating for that at this point, you know? Yeah. I, well, you know, I, I I just I don't trust the executives at that company to make um, artistic decisions. Yeah. But nevertheless, they continue to put out some pretty good movies. Yes, absolutely they do. So this so. is the last movie of the 2000s. Uh, the next movie is Tangled, which is 2010. So we normally, at the end of a decade, watch something that is not part of the canon. Did we decide what we're going to do next episode? Or are we going to decide no. right here on the air? <laughs> I hope our listeners see how little planning we do for the show. What usually happens is uh, we, we usually record on like a Saturday night or Sunday afternoon. And usually what will happen is Thursday night, Josh or I will, uh, will text the other one and say, uh, don't we have to do a show this week? Yeah, it's true. I, I actually I am a little I. I I know you're saying this in jest, but I, I'm a, I am a little ashamed about how laissez-faire I've gotten about our uh, our show, because I really like it, and I really appreciate our listeners, and I really like doing it with you. 
and I, it's just it's gotten very bad. Yeah, but if I mean, if you had to spend 15 hours prepping it, you probably wouldn't enjoy doing it as much. But think about what a good show we could have. We have a good show anyway. I don't know. What if we did uh, Enchanted? I think Enchanted is a great idea. Have you seen it? Because I have seen it, and it ties in because it's got a little bit of 2G animation, uh-huh. which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, what year? Yeah, Enchanted came out in 2007. I think they were they did the 2D animation as a little bit of a, uh, you know, warm up. Oh, I didn't know that. To to make this movie, I think. That's true, because they they had shuttered it. You know, they they had gotten rid of all their two D animation. So I think in order to kind of rebuild it, they had used that movie. I, that might not be true, but that's my in in my in my mythology remembering that happened. So I'll try and look it up and know for sure by uh, by next month. Well, good. So next month uh, we will be talking not about Tangled but about Enchanted. We're we're entering the past participle. Uh, phase of Disney movies. Enchanted, Frozen, <laughs> Tangled. In, I, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know why they have so many uh, so many past participles. <laughs> Man, I love that you called it that. Though. That's what it is, though. Uh, you, I do know why because Tangled was supposed to be called Rapunzel, and Princess and the Frog did poorly with little boys because they got the sense it was only for girls. And Tangled is definitely mm-hmm. not only for girls. That's a that's an action movie, right? So they changed oh, it to Tangled. And then when Tangled did so well, they changed Frozen, which was supposed to be called the Snow Queen, to Frozen, um, in homage to Tangled. There you go. That's why we have the past participles. It's just it it's just those three, I guess. Just... Yeah, Enchanted is great, and uh, it fits because it's, it's 2007. It's got some 2D animation in it. I think it's I think it's a great choice, Michael. Let's go with it. Let's do that. Our prince liaison is Kristen Philippic. Uh, we're sort of on the old interwebs at before they were live and ChristianHumanist.org. Uh, you can help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at before they were live at gmail.com. We also want to encourage you to set your podcast player's dials to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending this time with us. From Michael Farmer, I'm Joshua Altman-Schofer, reminding you to never, ever lose sight of what is really important, okay?